the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 231, Premium Edition, for Sunday, December 13th, 2009. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the inaugural Premium Edition of the Mac Geek Gab podcast. If you're here, you know why you're here, uh, because you've already signed up and uh, we do appreciate your support. Uh, if you are here and you don't know why you're here, then I'll send you back to show 230 uh, to uh, to hear uh, all about this, because I'm I'm I can't imagine why you'd be here if you didn't know. But anyway, you're here. And John, you said uh, that it is Sunday, December 13th, which, of course, is true at the moment. But I don't believe that this will be released into the wild uh, until tomorrow morning, Monday, uh, December 14th. Did I say July? Oh. But anyway, December 14th, so. only because uh, I, I want to make sure I'm at my desk and, and more importantly, that Steven's at his desk to make sure that everything is smooth. And if we do have any problems, we're right there to attend to the listeners needs uh, and the subscribers needs, because uh, we want to make sure this is a smooth thing. So I think with that, we just dive right in and do what we know how to do here, John. Sound good? Let's do it. Okay. Yes. Uh, so we will start with Stefan's question, and I hope I have the audio in the right order. Hi, John. Hi, Dave. This is Stefan from Hamburg, Germany. Um, I got a question concerning scheduled time machine backups. I got a Mac Mini hooked up to my flat screen TV, and I'd like to backup it via scheduled time machine backups. Uh, I know you can get nice schedules with a time machine editor. Unfortunately, um, the Mac, when it's asleep, doesn't wake up for those scheduled times. Have you got any idea how to trigger a wake-up of the Mac Mini? Thanks, and have a nice day. Bye. Uh, thanks, Stefan. Uh, John, you want you got this one. Absolutely, there is. Now, right. I think this will this will address part of the issue, but at least it starts. So, so the question being, is there a way to tell the machine to wake up? And the answer is yes. You go into System Preferences, Energy Saver, you're going to see a Schedule dot, dot, dot button. You click on that, and, oh, no, you know, I think I do see a way. Okay, um, I didn't think this would do it. I think it will. So there are two selections here, Startup or Wake. Right. So if you click on that button, now here, okay. I, I got to think, of, but anyway, so you can specify every day weekdays, weekends, Monday, Tuesday. So it looks like you can either pick a day of the week, every day, or just weekends or weekdays. Right. And you can select a time to wake up. And, you know, th okay, so so the limitation there, John, would be that you can't have it wake up multiple times throughout the day. No, uh, and when I was looking at the at the menu, I thought maybe there'd be a way to make it more complex. It doesn't, there doesn't appear to be a way to make it. No. I, I, I thought it'd be nice if it had it, you know, like every, uh, I was hoping for a selection of like every X hours. Oh. And, uh, you know, I got to poke around because I, I just got to feel that if it can do this once, it can do it multiple times. Maybe yeah. not through the Apple interface, though. Right. Right. Yeah, I would I would I would agree with you. There's got to be a there's got to be a way. But but, you know, for backups, I, I think once a day would be enough. Um, you, you know, I mean, how much more do you need? And then uh, as Stefan mentioned with Time Machine Editor, which is a great third-party app, I know I use it on all my Macs, and I think you do too, John. 
is uh, that you you go in and you can set when you want that backup to start. And you can also tell it, you know, start uh, as soon as the, the computer wakes up. So you, you can go in and set it. What I would do is set it to to back up, you know, maybe three or four minutes after you have it wake up just so that the computer can wake up and you're sure that it's awake and then have the backup fire off. And uh, and that that should get it going that I think that I think that would do it. You know, I had another thought as we were talking about this. Yeah, I well, I'm going to take a stab here is that I'm looking in Time Machine Editor and they have an option here. Back up when computer wakes from sleep. Yes. I know there's a way. Uh, I don't know if you see where I'm going here, but just a thought is that some Macs you can wake up uh, if they are connected to a wired and. Yes. I'm not sure about wireless, but on a wired network, and, and that's in a different place. So I'm wondering if one thing to consider is to have another machine mm. over the network use the wake on land feature yes. that, uh, that I think is in most uh, recent Macs. That could be another way. It's kind of hokey. I just thought of it, and it, it, it just came to my mind because I looked at Time Machine Editor and uh, see that that's, that's something that they take into account. So, yeah. yeah, that's right. So maybe you can prod it from, from afar and say, okay, wake up. Yeah, well, that that would give you the flexibility because you could certainly write an Apple script on a remote Mac that sent that magic wake on LAN packet. Uh, and all Macs will wake on LAN over Ethernet. Newer Macs, I think Macs released in about the last six months or so, uh, will wake over airport as well. They have the capacity to do that. But uh, but, you know, you could do an Apple script and time it and, you know, whatever you wanted. Of course, the problem is if that other Mac is asleep. <laughs> then it's not going to send the packet and your Mac mini is not going to wake up. So, uh, you know, you got, you got to figure out what the most important thing is, you know, if backing up once a day is enough. You've got the solution right in front of you. If it's not, then you either, uh, we got to find a solution. If any of you out there know, uh, please tell us, uh, if there's another interface for this, but, but otherwise then you could head down the path of creating an Apple script on a second Mac. And yeah, that's right. Time to move on to Paul, John. Yes. Okay. Paul says, just bought a 27 inch iMac. Everything is fine, but I have one issue. When I start up or shut down, there's a bunch of commands text that scrolls on the left side of the screen. I own three other Macs and have never seen this. Is there a way to remove it from the startup and shutdown? Okay. So what's happening is. What is it? First of all. Yeah. It's, it's what they call verbose mode. When your Mac starts up, as we all know, or many of us know, uh, the Mac runs Unix under the hood. Okay. And when Unix starts up, there's a whole laundry list of stuff that just, you know, it just starts regurgitating all this status as it, you know, pulls the video card online and the hard drives online and mounts everything the right way and finds all the hardware and then goes and starts loading, you know, the operating system and all that. And then finally the, the graphical interface comes up. Apple and their infinite wisdom Decided to hide this by default because no one wants to see it and it can get confusing, as Paul has written. The answer is uh, they, they put the little uh, gray screen over it with the Apple and, and the little uh, spinning deal. <clears throat> so you can see it if you want. And the way you do it is you hold down command V uh, at startup and then it will make the gray screen go away and you'll see all this gobbledygook come. And it, it can be helpful from diagnostic purposes, right? Once you if you start up in verbose mode and that's what that command V is for, then when you shut down, it will also shut down in verbose mode. Uh, it's sort of one and the same. But Paul's probably sitting here saying, but hey, guys, 
I don't hold down command V on startup and I'll, I'll swear that there's nothing wrong with my keyboard that's causing this to happen. And there's a knowledge base article about this. Uh, but it sounds like you're in permanent verbose mode. And there is a, a couple of articles that we will point to that talk about how to always boot your Mac in verbose mode. And there's some uh, NVRAM settings you can change that will that will set and unset that. So I think that's I think that's the magic answer. You got you got anything to add I'm, there, John? I'm wondering if, if something in the past, if a utility had has mucked about with one of the startup scripts. And could be enabled. Yeah. I'll have to look around for that to see how, how you, if you did want this to happen, how, how you would go about doing it. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's the, um, I'm looking here. It's it in, in the terminal, you set pseudo space, NVRAM space, boot dash args, A R G S equals quote dash V quote. Uh, and that will turn on verbose mode and to turn it off. It's the same command, but, nothing after the equal sign and then it wipes out all the boot arguments and and in theory that should do it the first when you type this command because it has sudo sudo in front of it it will ask you for your password and that's just to authenticate you to make sure that you can make sweeping system-wide changes to your mac is that bad <laughs> well no there's a good reason they ask for the password because yeah, yeah. As, as you imply sweeping system-wide changes uh yeah. have the potential for disaster so. mm-hmm yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, let's go to Doug. We'll come back to, to Kevin and, and, right. and Jason later. So let's go, to, uh, let's go to Doug. He's got an interesting issue here. Doug writes, I have a problem that's reared its head over the past month. While troubleshooting a network address problem relating to Snow Leopard upgrade, I removed my Linksys BEFSRV41 version 2 router connecting my iMac and cable modem directly. As an afterthought, I use speedtest.net to check my upload and download speeds. With no router in, in, the, in the loop, it reported I was getting 17 to 21 megabits per second down and almost 1 megabit per second up. With the router reconnected, it reported only 6 to 7 megabits per second down and still about 1 megabit per second up. I got this router in 2002 and have upgraded the firmware last in 2004. That's the latest available. I thought routers weren't supposed to slow down the throughput. Do you think this router is just too old? If so, what wired router would you suggest? I hesitate replacing it if I'm going to have the same problems with the new one. In reality, without the router, I would only have noticed significant increases in downloads, but most day-to-day internet traffic hasn't appeared to change much. Okay. Uh, so... I started thinking about this, and John, I, I actually prepped this question in the air, so I couldn't look up the specs of the router uh, because we had no go-go in-flight wireless on my flight back from uh, Austin on Friday. But it hit me. It's like, wait a minute. You know, what if his router only supports 10 megabits per second throughput? What if it's only a 10-base T Ethernet port on the port on the router that goes to the cable modem? If that was the case, he certainly wouldn't get more than 10 and might even see six to seven, depending on, you know, various circumstances. So uh, we sent an email off to Doug and said, okay, uh, you know, that, that could be the issue. Go ahead and plug your iMac in to the port on the router that the cable modem would go into and, and then check the network speeds. And I told him a convoluted way to see the, uh, the network speed in the terminal, but John, you, you found a much better way. So I'll let, I'll let you take it from there. Um, 
I found a couple of things. So, so I'll tell you the first thing I found. So the better way, so, you know, we all love mucking about, you know, in the terminal. Of course we do. But not everybody wants to do that. Now, the, the, the nice thing is that Apple includes something, uh, should be in your application folder, um, called network. Monitor? Uh, hold on. Network utility, I'm sorry. Oh. And network utility is basically a pretty interface over this stuff that you're going to get anyways. And so if you, if you go into network utility, um, it should default to an info tab. And then below that is the different network interfaces that you have. And for example, I'm looking here, EN0, which is typically your first Ethernet port. Um, and mine says link speed, one gigabit. That's a good thing. Yes. Oh, that's very good because that's that's what it's supposed to be. <laughs> right, right. Because that's what my uh, time machine has as well. So, um, so that's a place to look uh, to see at least what the computer thinks uh, the link speed should be. And now, Max, not- Macs are pretty good at auto sensing. I've, I've, uh, of all the computers out there that I've used with auto sensing, Macs seem to be the most reliable. Uh, so, you know, I yeah. usually trust what it finds. Yeah. Well, I see where you're going. And, and actually, maybe. Uh, uh, so one piece of data, though, I was searching for that particular model number while you were talking. That device does seem to be a 10 slash 100. Hmm. But is it 10 100 on the internal switch, the switch that's going to let your network talk and only a 10 base T connection to your cable modem? Um, all I know is I'm looking in the specs here and it says equipped with a 304 port 10 100 switch. Yeah. See, so. that's the that's the switch for your internal network i would bet that that uh that the 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 port to the cable modem is only a 10 base t port. oh i see what you're saying yeah the device on the cable modem yes, yeah that, no that not not on the weird. cable modem because clearly the cable modem can talk faster than 10 base t because he plugs his imac into the mm-hmm. cable modem and it's fine but but the trick would be plug the imac into not the port that you'd normally plug it into on the router but the port that the cable modem would plug into on the router <sighs> Right. Because I think that's the limited one. I've seen this. I've had routers where, you know, yeah, it's got a hundred megabit switch for your network, but they chinsed out and they put a, you know, older 10 megabit port because they figure, well, what cable modem is going to go faster than 10 megabits, you know? Right. Right. So you're, you're talking the way, what we'd call the WAN port. Bingo. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And that's what, what it's usually called is the WAN, the WAN port. That's right. Yeah. And actually it's even marked on here. And you know what? This device does uh, uh, I'll poke around a bit more. It doesn't okay. explicitly say yeah. the WAN port is 100. It, it could very well, yeah, for cost savings, be 10. Yeah. And then the rest of the device on your local network, you can communicate at 100. So. Yep. But that that's what I do is I plug it in and check it there. There is another place to check it, though, John. Did you notice that, too? Oh. Where? All right. Uh, go into your uh, network system preference pane. Highlight your Ethernet connection once it's plugged into that WAN port. Again, you're not going to get any data passing back and forth because it's not built for that uh, in this sense. But uh, but once it's connected, highlight the Ethernet port in the network system preference pane. Click on advanced. Go all the way out to the end and choose Ethernet and make sure it's set to configure automatically. And then see you'll have three uh, uh, grayed out drop down menus below. They're grayed out because you've set it to configure automatically, but they're going to show you what it's set to and set to check to see the speed. Now, it's going to be in terms of base T. So you're either going to see uh, 100 base T or 1000 base T or 10 base T. And it's that 10 base T that will tell you, "Uh uh-huh, it's talking at 10 megabits a second. That's not going to be fast enough for my cable modem connection. And I found it. Go. 
in the FAQ, they yes. have a question. Does the WAN connection of the, and this is a funny answer, actually. Does the WAN connection of the cable DSL router support 100 megabits per second Ethernet? And the answer is, since broadband Internet connections like cable and DSL do not exceed 10 megabits per second, the cable DSL router's current hardware only supports 10, which is kind of funny. Because Bingo! That is certainly not the case in this day and age, but when this device was made, I, I think that was a perfectly valid statement. So even though I was really high, I got the answer right. Is that How what we're saying? Uh, 29,000 feet. <laughs> only 29? Yeah, we flew low, but you know what? It was because there was some turbulence, but flying that low, man, we got back in less than three hours, Dallas to Boston. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess so it wasn't I wasn't really high. I was pretty high. Yeah. So um. So yeah, they answer the question in here uh, again. It's a reasonable Bingo. assumption when this device was made, right? Because yeah, now I mean, yeah, I'm seeing like you know uh, what is thirty uh, cable? Or I'm sorry, uh, Optimum Online here. Um, they actually I think offer it's like Opt Online Ultra. Yeah. Which I think exceeds a hundred megabits. I think it just goes really? over that. Whoa. Yeah, I mean, you, you pay for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, not yeah. fiber, but it's a... Uh... Yeah, I can get 50 here. I had it for a day just to check it out, and it was like, yeah, this is stupid. I mean, it was fast. Don't get me wrong. And having 10 megabit upstream was actually pretty cool. But anyway. Uh, yeah, so as far as what router to get, what wired router to get, man, I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> They're all different, uh, but... These days, they're all going to support 100 megabits on the WAN port. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm a wireless router kind of guy because that's what I always wind up getting. And I like the Linksys ones. I always go because, you know, I like to run that crazy DDWRT firmware. Mm -hmm. I always go to the uh, there's a page on on Linksys. Uh, sorry, on the DDWRT site mm -hmm. that will that let you put in a router number and it'll tell you if the hard if the software if the firmware is going to work on that. Uh, they're supported hardware lookup router database. Uh, so that's where I always check after I, you know, look around, but, uh, but you know, I, I don't know. I don't know of a good wireless router. Uh, sorry. I have a good wired only router, um, off the top of my head. So, Oh, Hey, I've been, you know, I'm a big fan right now. I've been using for uh, quite a while and I, I really like the, uh, time capsule. Oh yeah. There you go. Yeah. Of course that's wireless hey, it's too. Gigabit. It's gigabit. Yeah. And uh, oh, yeah. And Optimize really expensive because it's got a hard drive in it. <laughs> yeah, it's not as expensive as, as I would have thought for yeah. having a. I think this one I got has a terabyte right. in it. But uh, yes, I just found this Opt Online Ultra 101 megabits downstream. Wow. 15 up. That's crazy, dude. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're going to you, you got to watch your, uh, your your cable lines will heat up, melt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, moving on. But yeah, it, it, I, I, just for Doug, go to uh, man. I don't know. I really, I don't. I really don't know uh, of which wired router to get. I don't have a. I have an answer for you. But uh, any of them that you pick are going to have hundred megabit connections, or at least make sure they do. But I can't imagine they'd sell anything today that didn't, because all cable modems are going to go faster than that now, or at least cap possibly go faster than that. Mm. All right, uh, Jamie wrote a couple of things. And uh, he actually sent an email with an audio comment. So we'll do both uh, in succession. Uh, firstly, please. Okay. Uh, the, the email comment. I'd like to add my take to the magic mouse discussion slash debate. I both like and dislike this mouse. 
Unlike many people, I never liked the Mighty Mouse or any scroll wheel two-button mouse. I always preferred the Apple Mouse or Apple Pro Mouse, the oval single-button ones. When it comes to the Magic Mouse, however, I love the idea of multi-touch. It's great on the trackpad and iPhone. What I can't cope with is the fact that it's wireless only. It seems like the obvious answer to me would have been to incorporate either a dock or mini USB port to enable it to be used as a wired or wireless mouse. If they were to do this, you may even be able to incorporate a rechargeable battery. If they'd done this, I'd have bought one instantly, even at a higher price. Any thoughts? Okay, so uh, I do like the idea of charging it in a little dock or something like that. However, uh, you know, now you're building a battery charger into the mouse and, you know, maybe Apple didn't want to head down that path of forcing people to to do that or or the tech support nightmare that comes when people put alkaline batteries in and then start charging them and then they don't work quite right uh, even though i've charged alkaline batteries for years and mm. you know it, it sort of works just gotta make sure you don't blow them up uh but the real deal for me john on on mice is that i really don't like I, wired mice in general uh, they can be more accurate and there's times where that's actually very valuable but what what I find is ergonomically a wired mouse is is probably the worst thing for me because I'm always kind of fighting against where that cord is going and yeah. uh, and the cord sort of, you know, giving me resistance where with a wireless mouse, I wouldn't have it. And I, I find actually if I use a wired mouse for any significant period of time, uh, my wrist winds up hurting because I'm, you know, applying extra pressure, mm. you know. Yeah, yeah it, I actually notice it. So now I've seen actually um uh Vendors make a. I think at one point a vendor made um, kind of mouse pad, but also it was kind of like a virtual person to basically stand there and hold the cord up so it doesn't get in your way. I know yeah. I've seen somebody do this. I, I don't know if it was uh, Kensington or yeah, or like on the mouse point. pad, like a little like a little goal post almost that that had yeah. the yeah yeah it yeah keeps the cord out of the way. Now yeah. you know I'm wondering if the Magic Mouse has. USB in it, and if you wanted to break out the drill and void your warranty and all that, that you could get in there. If it, if it even has the capability to communicate using USB, oh, that's interesting, huh? The um, yeah, I'll have to find one and rip it apart. Yeah. Um, the other thing that occurs to me is that you know, I, you you and I have both seen this, Dave. Like for example, I have a uh, uh, electric toothbrush. Yep. And that has what I've seen not in a lot of appliances, but uh, you know, it's not unheard of. Uh, I guess it does it through induction or something, but basically, you, you you know, there's no wires, but the device charges. Right. Being put in a special base. And I'm wondering, that would be, I think, kind of an elegant... Uh, Logitech maybe. does that. They do? Oh, they yeah. do have one. Okay. Yeah. I figured yeah. somebody would, would come up with that. That that could be a nice, you know, suggestion for Apple to think about something like you that. You know, it would be cool is if they put like a microwave transmitter in the in like the corner of the iMac no, or no, something, no, 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 and no, you could no. aim it down at the mouse and beam the power right at it. Wouldn't that be a good idea? <laughs> I've actually seen some of these wireless power systems at a, a it was a visit I made up to, to MIT a while ago. Uh-huh. Those are fine as long as nothing gets between yeah. the uh, transmitter and receiver because humans yeah. don't react to microwaves very well. No, it tends to cause cancer among burns and other things like that. No, just cooking you. Uh-huh. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's uh, that's our thoughts on that. I'm not sure what you think about that jamie but uh there we go okay and then your friend's power book uh here we go hi john hi dave hi pete have a problem with a powerbook g4 17 inch 1.5 gigahertz machine that belongs to a friend of mine 
the hard drive recently died. Uh, I replaced this for him last weekend, reinstalled Leopard, did all the necessary updates to bring it up to 10.5.8. Everything is fine. He has since returned to Turkey where he lives and now he's unable to receive internet at his address. There are Microsoft laptops in the house which do access the internet. His airport appears to be connected to their network from what he describes to me on the phone. The bizarre thing is that he was able to get internet both at my house when I made the repairs and also at the guest house address down the road from where he lives. I'm left scratching my head on this one a bit. The, the only thing I could think of was that possibly on their router there was a list of allowed devices but as far as I'm aware this is usually done by MAC address and that shouldn't change with a new hard drive should it? Any ideas you've got on this would be uh, greatly appreciated. Alright well uh, we'll stop it there. Yeah um, it, it's true unless you changed the motherboard which uh, you were pretty clear about what you did uh, that you did not change the motherboard, and that would be the only way to change the hardware MAC address. However, there is a way to set the MAC address in software uh, from the command line. Now, I've always assumed that when you do that, it actually wrote to the hardware to do it. But perhaps it it only changes it in the OS, and then the OS kind of, you know, on every reboot says, oh, yeah, yeah, here's this plist file, go ahead and do it. I don't know the answer to that. It That's possible. It seems like a stretch, and it also seems like your friend would probably have been aware of, of having changed the MAC address for that specific reason. Um, uh, you got any ideas, John? It doesn't sound like the computer to me. I'm, I'm wondering if yeah. something else has... Uh has changed. I mean, it's worked on, you know, both his and, and he indicated a, another location. It worked on both of those. That's so, true. You know, that's two data points right there. So, oh, you know, oh, here's what right. changes on the hard drive on the, you know, that's stored on the hard drive is the MTU setting. Right. Uh, well, for, it's a fresh OS install, a fresh OS install. It's going to be a flat, you know, standard MTU. And as we've seen, some routers don't like the Mac standard 1500 uh, MTU setting. So perhaps lowering the MTU uh, would, would solve this problem. And that is stored on the hard drive. So uh, back to network system preference pane, uh, because Windows machines have a slightly lower default MTU than Macs do. So uh, in the system preference pane, you go to or in set, uh, hmm, hmm, how you doing, John? Your throat holding up all right? Good. Excellent. Got some order. Good. Yep. Uh, So go into the network system preference pane. Click on your airport connection. Click on advanced. Now, this is going to seem counterintuitive, but go all the way over to the last tab, which is labeled Ethernet. uh, And configure it manually. And the MTU is probably set to 1500. I would say set it down uh, use custom and set it down to 1400 and see if that works. That might be the magic answer. That's the only thing I can think of. John? Yeah. yeah. And this is a Leopard machine, too. I think, it, yeah, it was mm-hmm. it's a PowerBook G4. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Leopard is as far as your... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because Leopard's, Leopard's uh, MTU 
options are standard at 1500 jumbo at 9000 and then custom where you can set it to whatever you want anywhere from 72 to 9000 so I, I would go to 1400 if that doesn't work go down to a thousand if that doesn't work then this probably isn't the issue uh and we gotta kind of go back to the drawing board mm-hmm. all right anything else to add there john no, I think I think we need we need some more data. But, okay, um, you know, try some of the things we mentioned and yeah, and write us back. Let us know. Uh, we've got some good tips, John. Let's uh, let's head into the tips section here. Uh, the first one was from Dave Mara, who's actually uh, I think he's in K through twelve sales at Apple. Uh, he tweets as Marathon M A R R A T H O N and does actually share some cool Mac tips from time to time uh, via his Twitter account. In the Finder, he says, click on an item and do Command-T to add it to your Finder's sidebar. To add it to the dock instead, do Shift-Command-T. That's actually pretty cool. I, I never used either one of those. So, you got anything, John? No. Yes, I do, as oh. a matter of fact. All right, go. Surprise. So, you may be asking yourself, Dave, where would I go if I wanted to find out about all these keyboard shortcuts? Where there- would I go if I wanted to find out about all these keyboard shortcuts? What are you asking me for? No. Um, <laughs> go to the finder, go to help, and then you're going to see a search field. And you know, if you type in keyboard shortcut, you'll see a few matches here. And I think the one that's most applicable here is about keyboard and other shortcuts. If you open that up, it has an, a list that's very nicely organized into shortcuts for system basics, shortcuts for system features, for files and folders, for application features. And I bet you that's buried in there somewhere. All right, so here's something interesting. You're on a Snow Leopard machine, John? No, that's on my Leopard machine, and I brought it up on Snow Leopard. It was a slightly different uh, article name, but but I I thought I used keyboard shortcut or shortcuts as the search term. Okay, can you go to your, can you go to the finder on your Snow Leopard machine for me? Yes. Okay, Uh, and then highlight some document or folder in uh, in the finder there, either in the desktop or, or whatever. Uh, yep. and, and then from go open up the file menu. Now, it, somewhere in the file menu, you will see that command T is mapped to add to sidebar. Correct. Yeah, look at that. OK, now, uh, while that's still open, hold down the shift key on my leopard machine. It changes t- from add to sidebar to add to favorites. What's it do for you? On Snow Leopard says add to doc. Aha. So this is this is a Snow Leopard tip. Now, I'm not sure what add to favorites is going to do for me here. Ah. Oh, well, no. On Snow Leopard, if I hold down control. Yeah. It says add to favorites. If I hold down shift. Add to dock. But what is favorites? Where's favorites? I mean. <laughs> Where's favorites? Yeah. Um, it's actually it's not. Where is it? It I thought it showed up in places. Actually, I think I have a default where it doesn't, but I think it's it's just a folder buried in your documents somewhere. Let's see. I I, I, no, I I've never. Hmm. I I find documents. I don't see favorites. Now, is it the kind of thing where if I'm like in Safari and I go to choose open, do I have like a favorites list? No. I, I'm. Mm. I, I did. I didn't mean to head us down a path where we were lost like this, but uh, I'm, I'm, you know, add to favorites. I mean, I I chose it, 
nothing happened. Um, got, you'll also nothing. see, well, I, well, I've seen it here. No, there's a favorites folder. I'm looking at default folder right now. Okay. Default folder. If well, you use that, and I you don't, I don't log. have that on this machine. Okay. But here, for example, uh, so there must be, yeah. So, so we got to figure another way to get to this because, well, no, let me do this. So basically it shows a little heart here and it says a uh, favorites folder. And how do you get there? That's the thing I'm clicking on, and I don't see the path to it. Okay, this is a mystery we're going to have to solve a little later here. Exactly where favorites. Okay, so I'm reading a knowledge base article here. You can add items to your favorites folder for quick access. In the finder, you can add aliases, folders, blah, blah, blah. Select an item, choose add to favorites from the file menu. You can also click add to favorites when you save or open a file in an application. To open a favorite, click the favorites button in a finder window toolbar. Aha. So if we go to the uh, view menu and customize toolbar in the finder, do I have a favorites? Nope. <laughs> see, I thought I might be able to come out here and see like a favorites thing, you know, to add to the toolbar there in the finder. I got nothing. Oh, no, I see it. Where? How am I missing this, John? No, I think I found it here. Okay. No, I found a dialogue in Safari here, and favorites is listed in places. So on the bar on the left in the file dialog, which uh, I think yeah. also pretty much matches the finder, but I have something called favorites. If I click on favorites, favorites is actually, let's see the path to it here. Yeah. John Braun library favorites. Aha. Sure That's enough. a weird place to put. Okay, yeah. So look in your, your local yep. library folder, and, and you should have a favorites folder. And there and it is, that, the thing I just added today. Yep. And then here I see network, doc, or, or I see shortcuts, uh, yeah. network documents and downloads as well. So that's where the favorites are. Okay, so if you don't have it in your places list uh, in the finder, that favorites section is in your home folder in library, and it's named aptly favorites. Awesome. That was a worthwhile tangent, I think. That's good. That's good. That's good. All right. And thanks, Dave Mara, for uh, heading us down that path. If you ever get a chance uh, to see Dave Mara speak, he, he speaks at user groups all over the place. He is a very energetic, very entertaining, and very informative speaker. Uh, so he's a, he's a good guy to, uh, to hunt down there. So. All right. Uh, Thomas actually helps us... Uh, corrects us and offers a solution hey john and dave this is thomas from mac sst just following up a little bit on your discussion of partitioning schemes and uh, booting both intel and power pcs from the same disk um, you're correct that you can boot power pc and intel machines from a, a disk that's apple partition map but if your listeners are going to do that, um, they have to be careful because, uh, or remember that if um, you have a power, uh, an Intel machine and you're installing the OS from the DVD onto the hard disk, it will not let you install onto an Apple partition map. It will say this disk must be partitioned as GUID. Now you can get around that by installing onto a GUID disk and then cloning that GUID disk 
to an Apple partition map disk, and then that Apple partition map disk will be able to boot both Intel and PowerPC machines. But it, uh, the um, the installed DVD on an Intel machine will not let you um, install uh, directly onto an Apple partition map disk. Interesting. Um, so that's just a little caveat to, to your discussion. Thanks very much for the show, guys. Huh. I guess that they're uh, gently discouraging people from using uh, legacy partition schemes. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a and a, a cool way of of getting it there because there it is handy to have, you know, certainly pre-Snow Leopard anyway, handy to have a a disk that can boot multiple flavors of of uh of Macintosh, right? After Snow Leopard it doesn't matter. Mm. Cuz you you can't boot a PowerPC with Snow Leopard anyway. So cool. Uh, we had an interesting discussion back and forth. It was sort of a I was going to say offline, but it was a very much an online discussion. It was just off air discussion uh, back and forth with Kirk about some weird issues that his cousin was having with an aluminum MacBook, not a MacBook Pro, but an aluminum MacBook. And he says, uh, and this is sort of a, a word of warning out there. The reason for my cousin's aluminum MacBook problems with Snow Leopard is that his machine was so rare that the engineers you're supposed to ask, how rare was it? How rare was it? That's right. It was so rare that the engineers didn't really have it at the front of their mind when designing 10.6.2. He's been talking on the phone with some higher ups at Apple who will probably be swapping it out with a 13 inch MacBook Pro. The OS was corrupting files on his machine left and right, somehow due to the bus and SATA stuff that was only a part of the briefly manufactured aluminum MacBooks. My white MacBook hasn't seen any of these problems. Just thought I'd let you know to share it with your listeners. All right. Thank you, Kirk. That's uh, that's very interesting. So, uh, mm. if you're if you're a MacBook aluminum MacBook user running ten point six point two, be careful because uh, Kirk, at least uh, via his cousin, has seen some significant yeah some significant issues. Yeah, yeah. Do you have significant issues? Yeah, uh, you know, I get a little cold here. It's it's fine. Plus, we've been. This is our second podcast in a row, and uh, you're all caffeinated up too. Yeah, well, I had four hours of sleep, and I had a gig last Ooh. night, so it's like, yeah. All right. To me, that just seems weird, but it not, does. Yeah, uh, but then again, some have commented that sometimes uh, various versions of OS X uh, appear to have not been thoroughly tested on. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and that the users are doing that. All right, I like Microsoft, right? What's that? <clears throat> Uh, okay, moving on to, let's talk about, let's, let's, let's do Jason here. I think, uh, I think this audio is going to work. I think. Hi, John and Dave. This is Jason in Houston. I have an early 2008 iMac 24 inch with a 320 gigabyte hard drive and two years left on my warranty. Trouble is I'm running out of disk space with only about 17 gig to spare and shrinking. I know that sounds like a lot, but you can appreciate what a movie or two will do, or even a few video podcasts. So I'm looking for your help on a proper solution, and I thought of you guys. So um, I'm thinking if I replace the drive, um, that might void the warranty. Uh, and I'm relatively new to iMacs, so to the, to the Mac. Ideally, I was thinking I would slide a solid-state drive in and use the current one uh, as an external enclosure in an external enclosure for my data but uh, my second option would be to use an external drive as my boot device um, but that begs the question of what to do with the internal drive of course 
Um, what would you recommend I consider as a best, next best um, option, given a relatively low budget and a desire to keep my warranty happy? If I go external, will I be better served using available FireWire 800? And on another note, should I expect degraded performance if I use an external bootable drive uh, versus the internal? And any other factors or considerations uh, would certainly be appreciated. Thanks, guys. Here's where you cut me off. All right. Uh, so first things first, I know that the G5 iMacs uh, had do-it-yourself, user-serviceable, Apple-blessed procedures to replace the hard drive. However... Oh. Do they have like a, a little door or something? Uh, um, it was pretty easy. It was the um, to do it. You had to put the iMac down, face down. So, you know, you put a towel on the table mm -hmm. face down, uh, unscrew, I think just two screws at the bottom and then lift the whole back case off. And that's also how you uh, replaced RAM inside it. And the hard drive was right there. So it was very easily accessible on this new one, though. Uh, RAM is a door in the bottom of the iMac, which is even easier. However, from what I've been told, in order to replace the hard drive, you actually, I think this sounds crazy, but I think you even have to take the screen off. So, uh, mm. yeah, with that, it is not considered a user serviceable part. Apple's policies about it are that it voids your warranty if you break something going in or out to, uh, you know, to replace this drive. So it's subjective. Depends on where you go, depends on who you talk to, and uh, depends on how much they like the story that you're telling them. So, uh, yes, you definitely risk voiding your warranty if you do this. Uh, you know, And if you do it and you don't have any problems and then you need to send it in for other warranty work, well, your best bet is to take out the drive that you've put in and put in your old drive so that Apple sees you know, a happy to go. Because they may decide to replace the drive while they're in there. Uh, they reserve that right anytime you send a machine in. So, you know, it's a it's a big fiasco. I wouldn't recommend it. If you're worried about that. Right. Uh, yeah. Now, the place you can check. I'll just make a yeah. mention here, Dave. Yeah. Um, www.apple.com slash support slash OSS is what I found. OK. Just doing a quick search here. And then that goes to on the right side of that page is something called part installation manuals oh. and if you go there you can then search through all of the products where apple says it's okay um so so in his case i think you 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 know you got it is that this, this is you know apple a lot of times oscillates between it being very easy and very hard to replace certain parts depending on how pretty they want the case to look or something like that i don't know right. but um in this case you could look like for example i found if i restricted the search on this particular page here to imac um it even has here iMac G5 20-inch hard drive replacement instructions. Sure. Uh, so it's a, it's Apple sanctioned. Yeah. Now I didn't you know I didn't look at the list here. We could look farther, but I'm sure we're not going to find. Yeah, it seems only the iMac G5 was one. Right. Where you know they they want you to uh, touch that. Yeah. Now to the question about external. I, go ahead. Well, I'm with you. Uh, the the one question was you know is it going to be limiting and uh, you know if fire depending. I mean, FireWire 800, I think, is uh, in theory not going to be uh, reaching the maximum speed of the platter. So I don't think the interface, uh, I, I don't think he would see any performance degradation, at least not, not big time. No, I, I, I agree. I, and I think his, his best option in this case is to get 
an external uh, full size, not a not a laptop size, you know, FireWire 800 drive, because there you will see degraded performance laptop drives. I don't care what the specs say on them. I don't care how fast they spin the stupid things. They are slow as molasses getting data to and from maybe yeah. seek times. I don't know what it is. Well, yeah, they typically have either smaller caches or, yes, yeah, slower rotational speed or just. Yeah, even the 7200 RPM laptop drives I've had don't seem to me to make any difference in speed. So, I, you know, in, in short, if you're going to use it as your boot drive, you have no reason to make it a portable drive. You know, it doesn't need to be bus powered or anything like that. Get a regular old, you know, full size hard drive. They're cheaper anyway. Uh, and, uh, you know, run it on your FireWire 800 bus. I think you're going to be totally happy with that. And then you can use your internal drive for storage or backups or or whatever you want. And if you as long as your iMac's not going anywhere, which they typically don't, they you know, they're not mm. meant to be portable. You're not even going to care that you're running on an external drive. So uh, I, I think that's definitely the, the simplest way to go. It It truly is plug and play. You just boom, you do it. You can even grab something like Super Duper and clone your existing drive over to it so that you don't have to reinstall unless you want to, because reinstalling can, you know, have its own benefits and and uh, and all that good stuff. Right. Yep. You got anything to add there, John? No. Okay. Uh, so should we we, we have uh, we've got time here. Um, we James. can we can do James or we can go back and do John. From uh, from two thirty, and I think, I think actually, I think that's the right way to go. I think that's right. the right way to go. It kind of I fits got an answer in. for James. But, All uh, right, then let's do James. Well, then well, maybe we'll do both. We'll see. A possible answer. Okay, that's good. Let me find James out here. James has been living with us for a while. This question. Okay, James writes. I have a question about compatibility of monitors of different resolutions. Currently, I have a twenty-four inch iMac set to the maximum resolution of nineteen twenty by 1200 pixels. My second monitor is a large Hewlett Packard, which is currently set at the resolution of 1050 by 1680 pixels. It can be set as high as 1344 by 10,008. That doesn't seem to make sense because the other one is higher, but we'll go with this. Uh, if I move the Hewlett Packard to another resolution, I get the message that the input signal is out of range and asks me to return it to the setting of 1050 by 1680. Now my question, I'm considering getting the 27-inch iMac, which has a maximum resolution of 2560 by 1440. My question is, am I going to be able to use a 27-inch screen with the Hewlett-Packard's second monitor without turning down the resolution of the 27-inch iMac? By the way, the Hewlett-Packard monitor is a W2207H. Is the HP monitor going to work with that much difference in resolution? Okay. Uh, yeah. So, John, go ahead. Uh I'm going to say, based on the information, so uh, you, you want to get the specs on the machine in question. So what I did is I went to support.apple.com slash specs. Yep. Um, that's something that not everybody knows about, but that will give you the lowdown on the capabilities um, of each Mac. And in this case, I did find a line here, and it seems like, you know, it's just close, but not close enough. And, and I found a line in the specs that said, uh, these iMacs will simultaneously support full native resolution on the built-in display and up to a 30-inch display, 2560 by 1600. Oh, so close. Well, well, in that he said the resolution. Oh, no, no. Uh, wait, he wait, said say the that resolution. Again? Say that again. 
It'll support up to 2560 what? by 1600. Okay, so the specs on his monitor are the maximum resolution of 1680 by 1050. So he's totally oh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. He said 1050 by 1680. You're right. So. Right, right. Yeah, I think it doesn't matter. Oh, no. well, in that case, well, well, it does. Are you talking X or Y? Okay. Because here he reversed the numbers. So Right, right. But it wouldn't okay, matter. Well, in that case, 1680 yeah. by 1050 certainly fits within 2560 by 1600. Yep. So based on what Apple says about the capabilities of the, uh, you know, the chipset, the graphic chipset uh, and the external display. Good to go. You should be fine. It's important to note uh, to kind of explain why this is okay. Uh, the iMacs now, uh, as well as the MacBook Pros and even the MacBooks, support two different types of external monitor configurations. One is what they call mirrored, where you set it so that both monitors use the same resolution and have exactly the same thing displayed on both. So if you have a window uh, and your finder toolbar and, you know, all that stuff on one, you're going to see it on the other. And it's just totally mirrored. Everything you do, if you move your mouse on one, it moves on the other. That's the mirrored configuration. And yes, both monitors need to be using the same resolution in some way, shape or form. Then the other is display extension where you've got one monitor and it uses its native resolution. And then you have another monitor and it uses its own native resolution and they don't mirror each other. You can drag uh, an, an, uh, a, a window or your mouse or whatever you want from one monitor to the other. And it, the, 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 it, it's as though it's one big virtual display. Uh, in that case, the resolution of one does not necessarily impact the resolution of the other. The only limitation, as John, you just pointed out, is that the machine itself, the graphics hardware can only support up to a maximum resolution. And in this case, looks like uh, uh, James is going to be just fine. So it's actually pretty cool. If you've never done this before, uh, once you set it up, you put your second monitor in, you go to system preferences and you go to displays. And then in there, you'll actually see a third little tab pop up in, in between display and color. And it's called arrangement. And on that tab, you literally with your mouse drag the uh, the displays around. It's going to show you however many displays you get, two, three, or whatever. Uh, you drag them around to match your physical setup, so that as you drag windows or your mouse between the two, it's a seamless transition. Um, and and it, you know, depending on the the dot pitch of the display, it might not be totally seamless. You know, you might have some acceleration or whatever as you move it. But for the most part, you can set it up. And also there, you can drag and put which monitor you want to house your menu bar because that will only appear on one uh, so your menu bar and your dock are always going to be on one monitor but you get to pick which one that is uh, it's actually pretty cool so you got anything yeah, again to- uh, yes so i have a couple things yeah, so good, one I'm, I'm just concerned because it, it seems that he uh reversed the uh resolution in in his statement there when he said 1050 by 1680 yep as far as I'm concerned, convention dictates that the first number is the horizontal or X, and the second number is the vertical or the Y. Yep. And typically, the first one is going to be uh, always larger. I think that's that's why I suspect that he uh, he misstated that that it's not 1050 by 1680; it's 1680 by 1050. Yeah, unless the monitor it's it it says that it will pivot, and this is important. Oh. So he can pivot the monitor, but it, as far as the max concerned, it's the same. Uh, you would just go into the display section of the displays uh, 
pre- preference pane and set it that you've rotated the screen, you know, 90 degrees and, and then the Mac will reconfigure it. So it, it, it's all going to work just fine. But yeah, this, this is one of those displays that you can actually pivot the, uh, the, the display itself and set it up either in, you know, landscape or portrait mode, uh, to, to use okay. those terms. Yeah. Okay. So then that probably is a, that is a correct, you, you just got to make sure that, yeah, with the, in the corresponding display panel, you, you get those numbers yep. in the right order. Otherwise, from what I saw before, it, it wouldn't quite fit. And yeah. if you're, yeah. Um, the other thing is that there's something, um, which I haven't used for a while, but, uh, but it's still out there and it looks like they actually updated it for Intel and 64 bit. It's something called switch res 10 or X, depending on how you want to say it. I've heard of this, but I don't, and this is something which, uh, I'll have to experiment with it more. I just installed it on the, on the portable and I want to play around with it a little bit more. This will let you um, get very intimate with uh, the the settings uh, that that it will first. It'll show you all the permitted settings. Now I do remember in the past, Apple would um, if you held down a magic key. I, I I tried it on on my machine and I couldn't find it. it. Normally, it would show you what is called supported resolutions, which are resolutions that I think usually the monitor or the the computer knows. Oh, okay, the, there's this monitor. Then I'm pretty sure these are the only resolutions you support. And I'm not going to show you any options that that differ from that. SwitchOS 10. Now, you know, exercise caution here. I don't think it's as big of a deal now as it used to be. I mean, in the past, you could actually. Uh, fry your monitor if you gave it settings, uh, not so much resolution, but I think the frequency of the signal. Right, right. Um, so anyway, SwitchRS 10, if if you want to try to create some additional uh, modes that are not in display, the display control panel, SwitchRS 10, um, uh, you can try it out and, and see if it, if it does it for you. SwitchRS 10 is one tool that I think will let you go beyond what Apple advertises as, as the official supported resolu- resolution. Oh, this looks cool. Be careful. I don't think, I mean, normally what I've seen with any modern LCD, if you send it a signal that either has an invalid resolution or, or a you know, refresh rate or whatever that's too, it'll just say that I... Yeah, not interested. No. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm not even going to try to show you this because it's, it's obviously not, not something I support. Oh, so I don't think you'll damage anything, at least with, with newer hardware. Sure, sure. Ah, that's cool, man. That's uh that's a nice little find. I'd heard of that before, but I, I never had had checked it out. So And that brings us to the end. All right. Uh really? so yeah, this ends our first uh premium edition we, we did do two of these back to back. We did our uh, number 230 and 231 back to back just because of timing and our schedules. Typically though, that's not going to be the the case. We we're going to find uh, another time during the week. I think and John and I need to hash this out, but I think it's going to be uh, every other Thursday morning is going to be our schedule for for recording this one. Oh. Uh, something we'll figure it out. You know, we'll, yes, whatever. yes, yeah. we will. Um, we've got holidays and all that coming up. That's just going to screw everything up uh, anyway in the next two months because we've got CES and then MacWorld, and I'm doing this crazy trip to Miami for New Year's Eve. But uh, huh, really? <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you about it. It's crazy. We're, we're going to see Fish. Right. We're going to go see him for two nights. But uh, I figured we've got a 7 a.m. flight home on January 1st. Now, the show's not going to end until, you know, after 1 o'clock. There's no reason to have a hotel room for, like, the three hours that we would be there. So I think we're going to hang, like, at the Admirals Club or something. But that doesn't open until 4.30 a.m. So uh, so we got to find some diner. If anybody in Miami uh, knows of a good safe diner for uh for my wife and i to hang out between the uh the show and the uh, the thing that would be good but anyway uh, Just hang out at the airport man 
Well, that's, that's, yeah, I mean, that's where we'll plan to go. But, you know, it'd be nice to go somewhere else because the airports are pretty dead at 3 a.m. Anyway, uh, you probably have our contact info, but we'll go through it anyway. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com is the email address to use to get in touch with John and I. Uh, Dave, did you say feedback at MacGeekGab.com? Oh, my God, I did. I said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's one option. Of course, you can send attachments, audio, uh, video, graphics, or otherwise. Um, but, you know, if, if you're just hankering to use uh, the, the, the telephone, you can call us. And, Dave, you would call us at 206-666-GEEK, which is... 4335. Skype to MacGeekGab. And, uh, of course, you know, feel free to leave us iTunes comments. There, there is no iTunes store uh, feed for the premium show because they, because they don't... They're not flexible that way, but uh, but you can leave it on the regular Mac Geek Ed one, and of course that uh, everybody will see that, so that's even better. I think that's it. iPhone Alley. Uh, Michael Johnson does provide the AAC conversion for this one too, and uh, you're downloading the show from Cashfly. C a c h e f l y dot com, and that's it. We're out of here. Ready to go? Wow. Yeah, I got the. I think it's about freezing outside now. So uh, awesome. Go out and do something. I'm exhausted. Yeah, well, we did too, back to back. So, yeah. um, thank you very much for supporting our. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. Premium. And especially you. Don't get caught. Made up.